0: Complementary measures as a last resort. One example that demonstrates that climate change has become a mainstream concern is CNN's 4th of September 2019 organising and airing of a Forum on Climate Change. One of the most striking moments in the programme arrived when the moderator asked Senator Elizabeth Warren whether the government should be able to regulate the kinds of light bulbs people can buy. Her response, This is exactly what the fossil fuel industry hopes we're all talking about. They want to be able to stir up a lot of controversy around your light bulbs, around your straws, and around your cheeseburgers. When 70% of the pollution, of the carbon that we're throwing into the air, comes from three industries. And why don't we focus there? It's corruption. It's these giant corporations that keep hiring the PR firms so we don't look at who's still making the big bucks of polluting our planet. And the time for that is past. We have a chance, a chance left in 2020, to turn this around. But we are running out of time on this one. This position demonstrates a liberal conundrum whether there are scenarios in which liberals have to go beyond market-based mechanisms to tackle climate change. While it is appropriate to use carbon pricing, as it effectively incentivizes emissions reductions, it cannot alone provide sufficient decarbonisation. While pricing carbon brings the costs of climate change into economic decisions, it cannot overcome every potential market barrier limiting the uptake of clean energy and other low-carbon technologies. A carbon price alone is also unlikely to provide incentives for investment in high-cost technologies, when increasing deployment could help lower their cost, a real trend in both wind and solar. Finding ways to lower the cost of low-carbon options can open the door to greater emissions reductions in the long term. It is, therefore, important to realise that liberal beacons like carbon pricing must be used as just one out of a larger suite of policy instruments. To boil down this debate to its essence, it really has to do with whether or not non-market-based policies fit into a liberal view on climate change policy. Is it, from a liberal market economy perspective, ever right to ban something to protect the climate? Liberals are fond of rights and want a society that promotes choice for individuals bans and prohibitions within climate change policy are therefore tricky, since climate change is dangerous and poses a long-term threat for all of us, both as individuals and society as a whole. However, that threat is not as imminent as others because of the slow process of climate change. Empirical examples point to the fact that even liberals will need to accept bans as a good complementary measure. However, these should always be considered as a last resort. When considering a ban, it is important to prioritize different instruments in terms of the technological maturity of the solutions that can meet the challenge you are trying to address. The American energy analyst Hal Harvey recently published a book which supports the argument that economic signals work best when you are quite far down the line in terms of technology pricing, figure 3.2, Illustrates this well and could also be used to determine when to consider a ban. This figure can be used to illustrate that bans work best as final instruments once economic signals have run their course. Liberals should only consider prohibitions if these two conditions are fulfilled. 1. The authority has sufficient information about advantages and disadvantages, and 2. The balance between said advantages and disadvantages shows that the societal value is already negative, with little use, as can be seen in the above graph, figure 3.2. For example, the UK will ban coal in 2025, after carbon pricing will have done most of the job. That would ideally also be the case in terms of banning new internal combustion engine cars from 2030, which Denmark and many others aim to do. That should be a last resort, because better options should already be available by then. This approach can therefore also be viewed as a political move to set higher standards that would nudge car producers to transition to zero-emission vehicles. A ban, in this case, is quite a blunt and unwieldy instrument. But it is hard to drive the transition in transport through carbon pricing that hits the consumer, so a policy that implements a future ban can make the direction clear for car producers. There are contexts in which liberals should want to ban things. One example was when freons, or chlorofluorocarbons, CFCs, were banned through the UN-Montreal protocol in order to save the ozone layer. This is one of the primary examples of how a global problem did not find its solution in the market economy but needed a uniform and globally enforced phasing out of the main substances responsible for the disaster in waiting. It is important to realise that this ban was actively supported by a large industrial coalition, which wholeheartedly agreed that the issue could not be solved by market forces alone. The Montreal Protocol served as a role model for the aforementioned UN-Paris Agreement and is now being used to find solutions for other large-scale environmental issues, such as plastic in the oceans. If something is more cost-efficient, it can also sometimes be more prudent to use bans. Prohibitions and bans are requested by industry more often than one might believe. In some instances, it may be a way to reduce the time needed and transaction costs involved in switching from an established technology towards new and more efficient ways of solving the issues at hand. An example is how low-energy light bulbs and LED struggled to gain a foothold in a market so long dominated by incandescent light bulbs. Because the new kind of bulbs were produced in small series, they were expensive. And because they were expensive, they did not reach a market breakthrough. Only after policymakers decided to gradually phase out incandescent light bulbs in the EU and other markets did the energy-efficient bulbs manage to get a substantial market share. This meant massive gains in terms of reduced energy consumption, from 60 or 90 watts per bulb to 9 or 12 watts, with a further reduction once LED was introduced. Once the cost per bulb went down, This also translated into large savings for users. Could this not have been solved by the market economy? Potentially, but this market was kick-started by the EU ban, and after the ban, there was once again a free market for anyone wanting to compete. For liberals with an interest in reducing climate impact, surely this must be an acceptable trade-off.